iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Welcome to tonight's Meet the Filmmaker event. Director Catherine Bigelow joins us this evening to discuss her latest film, The Hurt Locker, uh, which is a riveting portrayal of the military's unrecognized heroes, the technicians of a bomb squad who challenge the odds and save lives in one of the world's most dangerous places. Catherine is featured in this season's issue of Filmmaker Magazine in an article written by Nick Dawson, who also joins us to moderate tonight's event. In a little while, we'll bring them out to talk, share clips from the film, and take questions from you, the audience. Uh, before we do that, please enjoy the trailer to The Hurt Locker. Welcome to Camp Victory. Oh, Camp Victory? I thought this was Camp Liberty. Oh, no, they changed that about a, a week ago. Victory sound better. All right. So what do you got? The car has been parked illegally. The suspension is sagging. There's definitely something heavy in the trunk. Interesting. What's he doing? I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die comfortable. How many bombs have you disarmed? 873. 873. You're a wild man, you know that? Oh, that was too bad. Our first time working together? What do you think? I think us working together means I talk to you and you talk to me. Are you going on a date, Sanborn? My team leader is inspiring. He's gonna get me killed. What's the best way to go about disarming one of these things? The way you don't die, sir. Good. What do we have here? This box is full of stuff. It almost killed me. What about this one? Where's this one from, Will? It's my wedding ring. Like I said, stuff that almost killed me. <laughs> Put down the phone! Run him, Aldrin! I can't get a shot! I was scared. Yeah? Well, everyone's a coward about something. We're going on a mission. And my job is to keep you safe so we can keep going on mission. It's combat, buddy. Go! go! Everybody get back! Go, go, go! You realize every time you suit up, it's life or death. Found something. You roll the dice. deal with it. Oh, boy. Ladies and gentlemen, before you leave tonight, pick up a copy of Filmmaker Magazine, which we're handing out, which features an article on The Hurt Locker, written by tonight's guest moderator, Nick Dawson. Uh, at this time, please join me in welcoming them both, Catherine Bigelow and Nick Dawson. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Okay. Thank you. I'm uh, very, very glad, obviously, to, to be here, to have Catherine here. Um, we're big, big fans of the, mo of the movie at the magazine, and um, this, is a, this is kind of a big thrill. So I suppose, just to 
first question, logically, um, you know, the movie got a great review in the New Yorker today, in the New York Times yesterday, that you had a big interview uh, that they did. Uh, you won Best Director at the Seattle Film Festival, I believe yesterday as well. The movie opens on Friday. Just, just how tough is it right now for you? I, I feel like the film is, uh, you know, receiving a really warm reception. So it's it's pretty uh, pretty gratifying. How does it feel in this build-up period to to the movie coming out? Because you've been, we were talking before, you've been on the road, pretty. I mean, on the road. I said you've been sort of promoting the film almost for nine months now since since it premiered at Venice. Well, not really solidly, but solidly over the last few months but it's a nail-biter you know coming into your release so it's a nail-biter <laughs> so there's no other way to describe it <laughs> let's go back I guess it's a couple of years now to to the the origins of the movie maybe even four or five years ago to, to tell me about how you you met the the writer Mark Bowl well just to kind of give you a, a quick overview. I, uh, I was aware of Mark Bowles' writing as a journalist and uh, in around 2003 and actually turned one of his articles into a television series with Fox and Imagine and, and, uh, and at that point he told me he was going off on an embed in 2004 for, uh, to spend time in Baghdad with the bomb squad as a journalistic embed and I thought this was uh, a an incredibly brave and courageous uh, choice and also I was immediately tantalized with the possible filmic uh, possibilities there so um, so I thought it was pretty interesting anyway he, he went to Iraq came back and told me um, kind of virtually beat by beat of his experience with the in my opinion these EOD techs, explosive ordnance disposal techs, who have, in my opinion, the most dangerous job in the world, and and yet they volunteer. It's a volunteer military, so I thought that was a very interesting kind of character profile and psychology, and and immediately persuaded him to begin work on a screenplay. Has there been a film about bomb disposal experts previously? Are you aware of any? I'm, I'm not aware of one per se. I'm sure there has, but I'm not aware of one per se. Because and, and yeah, it, it just seems like such a, a natural choice for a movie. I mean, presumably you, you saw this as a, a really great, great opportunity. Well, I, I saw it both as a great opportunity and also an, a, a, a chance to you know, look at this particular conflict, meaning Iraq and what is going on over there from the standpoint of the epicenter of, of this war. It's really a war of bombs. And as a bomb tech, you are front and center in the crosshairs of this particular conflict. And so it was a real opportunity to kind of unpack the experience. And then given Mark's writing, which was truly great, he wrote a script that was extraordinary, I wanted to protect the repertorial it began as a as a reporter's vision to protect that repertorial vision and give the audience a real boots on the ground you are there almost fly in the wall look at what it would be like to be a bomb tech in Iraq today and 
And I will say it's a pretty harrowing profession. Yeah, absolutely. Which you'll see if you see the movie, which you could do Friday. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, Go I'm not here bec to promote it or anything. I'm just, you know, just it happens to open up on Friday. Just in case. And if you want to know where, you can always ask me. But anyway. Opens on Friday. Uh, <laughs> Friday. Where? Where? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it opens at the Landmark Theater uh, Sunshine and Lincoln Square Uptown. Okay. Make a note in your diaries. Um, so, you're talking about Iraq and, and you know, it's, it's been a, a real, uh, you know, it's been, it's been portrayed in, in movies and, and, but people, uh, you know, funders and, and audiences have, have kind of approached it with caution, shall we say. So how did, how did you feel about, about tackling it as a, as a filmmaker? Do you feel this is some kind of a, a, a commentary or, on it or did you just want to simply depict what was going on from, from a, a sort of bird's eye view perspective? Yeah, my, my, my interest was to keep it very repertorial and, rep and, and presentational and make it raw and immediate and, uh, and, and honest and authentic and realistic and not judge. You know, this is, this is a conflict that's obviously, um, you know, kind of emotionally fraught in the psyche of, of this country. And, and, but I do think that if we can unite around anything, it's around support for the troops and admiration for the troops, regardless of one's feeling about the conflict. And I think that that was the beauty of Mark's script. Right. So, so, just to let me get a handle on this, um, was it sort of 2004 he was... Uh yeah, he was, he was there in winter of 2004, came back, uh, we started talking about it as a screenplay in two, early 2005. So, took about, you know, several months to write it, then about almost a year to raise the financing, and then cast, and then shoot. We shot in the Middle East, we shot in Jordan, in Amman in and around the city of Amman, Jordan. And actually a couple of our locations were very close to the Iraqi border, which was interesting. And, uh, and till the premiere in Toronto in um, 2008, shot in 2007. Yeah, and, and for, for the writing process, how, it, it always interests me about, you know, you, you don't have a writing credit, but directors always sort of take a very, uh, cl have a very close involvement with the writer. So talk to me about, about you know how you worked on the script with Mark, because I guess directors always need to make a project their own to, to 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 know that when they go out there to shoot, that they're going to be able to put their own stamp on it. Yeah, good question. I think I think what was unique about this is usually the process is the writer a writer writes a script and then it's almost like a relay race and it's handed off and that writer has a particular vision and sensibility, and then it's handed off to a director who also has his or her sensibility, which may or may not be like the writers, and, and then suddenly it, it kind of mutates and becomes either a hybrid or completely something else. In this case, probably because the discussion of the script came um, early on in the process, in the creative process, we kind of had a shared sensibility. So from writing to directing, and then Mark was on set throughout the entire production. So I, I will say that we really kind of had a shared vision of the piece 
and and I think that it was a very fluid, seamless process as a result. And I think um, I think writers should be more in. I mean, in a perfect world, my opinion, my humble opinion, perhaps more involved in the filmmaking process. And right, because I mean, it it's very much differs from director to director. Whether you know, some directors will ban the writer from their set completely, but. I mean, did you encourage him to sort of give you notes when you were on set to, to say... Well, absolutely. I mean, he was, he was the one with the bomb squad. And even though I had spent time with bomb techs, EOD techs in Fort Irwin, in California, and also in Kuwait, I went to Camp Buren and spent time with other EOD techs just so I could have, even though I didn't go to Iraq, I wanted to have also kind of personal firsthand experience with, with um, the, a bomb squad. But nonetheless, it really was a matter of um, a kind of shared vision. And, and every time we would, you know, every day on the set, I would kind of verify that this particular sequence, this process of disarmament, this containment, like uh, bomb disarmament, as you see when you see the movie, which opens Friday, anyway, um, is, is, is a 300-meter containment. The ground troops roughly speaking, simply put, kind of stop the war for the bomb tech who is walking down on a particular ordinance to minimize any, any collateral damage or, or make sure that there is no collateral damage. So they keep this kind of containment. So it's questions like just the details of that kind of containment, the location, the space, the process, the which wire is chosen and and uh, it's so complicated initiating devices is it pressure plates is it i mean it's it's a very imaginative um insurgency to to say the least sure i, I really want to hear about um you, you were saying that you you went and and sort of observed a, a bomb squad yourself could you tell me about that that experience because you know it, it's was it very nerve-wracking? I mean, how, you know, obviously you were at a safe distance, I'm presuming, but, but what, what was that like? Well, first of all, I, I, uh, I was very curious about the suit. When you see the suit, as you did in the, in the trailer, it, it's a real suit in the movie that's not created by art department or wardrobe. It's, a, it's made of Kevlar and steel plates, and it weighs somewhere between 80 and 100 pounds. And then you put the helmet on, and you know, you can kind of say goodbye to oxygen as you knew it. And so, and you're shooting or and or performing bomb disarmament in the Middle East, so you add to that, you know, about an average 120 degree temperature. I mean, it's just punishing. Uh, I have so much admiration for what these, these men do. Um, but spending time with them was very interesting. That one of, the first, uh, one of the first things you'll do in working with a young bomb tech is to put them in the suit and see if they're claustrophobic. And they're meant to spend about 45 minutes in this suit. And literally all they're tasked to do, this is one particular EOD teacher, this is his process, is take a pile of paper clips on the floor, maybe 200 pa paper clips, and move them one by one about 20 feet to the right on the floor in the same room. You think, oh, that's nothing. You put a 100-pound bomb suit on in the summer, in the heat, very little oxygen, and if you survive that, you have a chance of actually, you know, 
perhaps going to the next step. So it's just, it's just punishing. And, and on top of that, these are soldiers who have tested incredibly high in the aptitude entry tests. I mean, they're capable of, they're invited into the bomb squad because of their high aptitude. And they're capable of disarming nuclear weapons, any, any kind of ordinance in front of them. And you have to make decisions on how to disarm any particular ordinance within about 45 seconds. Because if you're in theater too long, your coordinates are called in by a sniper potentially and so you have you average time when mark was with the bomb squad was about 45 seconds um bending over a live ordinance i think that's the perfect uh, anyway, the <laughs> way to get into our first clip nice and hot in here okay i'm laying on the charge nice and sweet Coming back. Twenty-five. Twenty-five meters. Roger that. Butcher shop. Two o'clock. Dude has a phone. Why is Eldridge running? Major. Come on, guys. Talk to me. Drop the phone. Drop your Shit. phone. Hey, bro. Oh, I can't get a shot. <laughs> So th that's pretty much the opening scene of the movie, or some of the opening scene of the movie. Yeah, it's, it's kind of been, uh, there's some internal cuts in there, that it's, but you get the, the gist that uh, a guy with a cell phone is, is potentially a very dangerous individual when you're looking at uh, um, you know, devices that can initiate an explosion. Yeah, so I mean, just looking at that scene, how do, you, how do you go about sort of creating a visual vocabulary and a, and a sort of a stylistic vocabulary to, to depict, you know, a, the workings of a bomb squad on screen? Well, um, one of the uh, kind of benefits of this opening scene is not only does it sort of... Uh, make you realize how volatile and how threatening this environment is and how, how the last person you suspect may be the most um, lethal. And, and those that seem very uh, lethal are actually quite innocent. So it, it's constantly, but it's also showing you that what I mentioned earlier, that process of bomb disarmament and the uprange and downrange and the fact that the war is, is contained for you and you being the team leader is the one man. It's called, it, they kind of term it within EOD, the lonely walk. You're the one that puts on the suit and you walk by yourself toward this suspicious object. It could be a rubble pile, it could be some um, wires sticking up out of the ground, it could be a new patch of asphalt or an empty, like, fluttering rice bag uh, in the breeze and, and you're, you know, it's been a suspicious object that wasn't there 24 hours ago, it's been called in by the ground by the the ground troops that patrol the area, and now the bomb squad is called in. So it, it it's kind of a bit of a learning curve in terms of the of a process of bomb disarmament. So you you have a sort of uh, vocabulary with which to watch the rest of the movie. And the thing that was important about about uh, keeping it repertorial is to put the audience kind of in the position of what 
what Mark Ball experienced and saw when he was there. So it's, uh, it's very immersive and it's hard to describe just based on a, you know, whatever it was, a 60 second clip. But it, you really kind of have a, a, a physical feeling of, of uh, dread and suspense in terms of how the, I suppose, how the photography, um, how it's shot and how the actors are portraying it and also how it's written. Yeah, because, I mean, uh, th this film is, is very, very... I mean, it, it's, it's gripping, it's pulsating. It, you really are, are, are completely involved. And, and I'm thinking of a particular scene where, you know, it, you, you really let the, the, you let the scene play for, for a long, long time to... to, to I'm thinking of the, the scene in... I'm trying not to give away the plot here. It's a little... Um, um, the, the, the scene with Ray Fiennes, shall we say. The... the you know, we're, we're in the desert, they're completely exposed, and you really, it, it's incredible, you know, the, the, the heat and the, and the sort of the humidity and the intensity is, is really palpable, and I, I thought the way you, you conveyed that was, was, was fantastic. Oh, thank you. I mean, again, you're kind of experiencing these guys' lives in real time, and that's sort of the sensation that, the, that I think the film gives you, and that's... You know, kind of interesting if, if uh, you're curious at all about what is going on uh, in the Middle East right now. And, and, uh, and, you know, as we speak, as we're conducting this Apple Talk, kind of, you know, obviously comfortable and, and uh, in perhaps intrigued, I hope. But, uh, but these men are, are, are actually walking down on a live ordinance 10, 12, 15 times a day. And... I think it's a very interesting um, psychology of somebody who can, you know, basically who is that courageous? I mean, it's this one man walking toward what perhaps the population of the rest of the planet would be running from. And so it's just, an, 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 in addition to just the process and maybe the tension and the dread and the suspense, is also this kind of particular psychology. And there's a, another dynamic at work where um, actually, Mark says this quite well, that fear is not, um, rather, cur courage is not the absence of fear, but humor in the face of fear. And there's a character who's your lead, played by Jeremy Renner, extraordinary actor. His name is Sergeant James. And there's a kind of almost reckless bravado that allows him to disarm these bombs, um, uh, you know, both very uh, skillfully, but also with a kind of, um, I don't know, almost a kind of swagger and hubris that you wouldn't anticipate with um, a job that's so dangerous. Yeah, I mean, the, the humor is, I, I, you know, it's it dark, it's surprising, and it, it really, I guess it's a level of the film that I, I, I didn't quite anticipate would be there, because this is such a serious subject, but I suppose you have to, you have to offset that as, as a, as a, as a you know, you know, bomb disposal expert to, to, to kind of get through the day, I suppose. Yeah, just to maintain your humanity, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, you, you talked about the, the psychology of, of, of the bomb techs. I mean, did, you know, th this film does a, a really good job of, of, of conveying this, this one character, uh, Sergeant James, and, and, and the, the, the 
two people that he works with. But I mean, did you? How did you manage to sort of dig in and and, and understand the psych the psychology of 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 these people? Because it's it's something that's very alien to to you and I, I suppose. Right. Well, again, um, uh, you know, Mark Ball and his embed. I mean, when he was there, there there were a number of individuals that he met with and spent time with that that uh, in the face of unimaginable fear and catastrophe could could somehow maintain a not only um, a kind of relaxed demeanor but a kind of almost a sense of humor and a kind of um, a, a tremendous amount of confidence and 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 the way that you know we kind of interpret it in the film is that you know you can't be frightened that long. It's just you, your body can't sustain it that long. So you, and also you're not going to survive. And and it's a survival mechanism that ultimately takes over that I think protects you. That gives you this kind of, I don't know, swagger and confidence. Yeah, and you you talked about about Jeremy Renner before, and he's you know one of three actors in this film who are absolutely superb really breakout performances from them in a way. Um, Brian Garrity, Anthony Mackie, and, and Jeremy Renner. Uh, can you tell me about, you know, the, your, your casting process? I mean, how you found these three actors who we now discover are completely brilliant, and, <laughs> but yet have not been, been showcased uh, in this, this way before? Well, one of the uh, virtues not necessarily, uh, you know, everybody might look at it that way, but to, to work on a script on spec uh, is that you can control its trajectory. And, and one of the things, um, or, or the aspects that were most important to me was to retain creative control, to have final cut, to be able to shoot in the Middle East, which I think might have been completely a game changer if I, one had gone to a studio for this movie, let's say but also to be able to cast emerging breakout talent. And, and I was aware of these three actors, and they're not um, completely unknown. They're just not as familiar as, as, let's say, other actors. But it also gives the film a kind of um, a, a sense of suspense and tension because you, you're not bringing to a particular actor a kind of history and baggage and and oh I, I know that's an incredibly famous actor so he can't die till the till the end of the movie well in this case you don't know who's going to live or die and there's a kind of um i don't know a kind of wonderful anonymity that that uh it, it kind of intensifies this the suspense but i was when mark was writing the script i was very um very interested in casting these three actors and i as the characters were developing, they became even more right as the ensemble, the kind of key primary ensemble for the movie. Yeah, I want to ask about, you know, you, you, you touched on it before, you were talking about filming in Jordan um, and sort of being close to the border to Iraq. And, you know, you, I guess you, you sort of created your own little war zone for, the, for this film and, and be really interested to hear about, about the process of filming and, and about being in that environment. I, I guess I, as a, as a sort of relatively uninformed Western male, I don't know that much about what being in Jordan and, and making war movies is like. So maybe you can fill, fill in the blank for me. Well, um, we're very lucky to find Jordan. I, I had scouted uh, Morocco and, and, uh, and it just didn't seem right. I mean, you're trying to make a movie about the Middle East, but you're not in the, you're in Northern Africa, which 
might be fabulous for a movie about Northern Africa, but but uh, I went to Jordan to to look at it. It was absolutely architecturally perfect. And when you see the film, there are um, I, I'm shooting with a Super 63, Super uh, f actually four Super 16 cameras, and and they're in constant motion. And my sets are quite large. Again, that uh, 300 you know meter containment that uh, bomb disarmament protocol mandates. It was very important to be able to look 360 degrees, so there was no bad angle. You know, your architecture was great, you're in the Middle East, you're able to basically turn the camera in any direction, and, and it was perfect. It wasn't like you would ever move off the set. Now that's really critical in a movie that has four moving cameras, and basically you're looking in every different direction possible. And so, um, and the other great benefit about shooting in Jordan is the fact that there are hundreds of thousands of refugees because of the occupation living in Amman, Jordan right now. And so I was able to utilize them for extras and, and background players and also some of my speaking parts. There's a kind of a critical role toward the end of a suicide bomber and that's actually played by a fairly well-known in Baghdad theater actor who no longer is living there because he's displaced from the war. And so that was a great opportunity, A, to give him uh, you know, a, a, a part in, a, in this film, but, but to, uh, you know, kind of um, share in his joy of being able to act again after having felt like it was probably no longer going to be a possibility. So that was one of those kind of great bonuses that I, I certainly didn't anticipate uh, going to Jordan. I just thought it would be a wonderful location. And then on top of that, the uh, sort of Iraqi component was, um, in fact, also two other of my extras were POWs, and and uh, that was also very interesting. Yeah. Now, you, you, we talked before about the the, uh, the sort of the dry, dark humor in the film. I think we're going to see in the second clip uh, oh, yeah. a little bit of that. What's he doing? I don't know. <sighs> what are you doing? There's enough bag in there to send us all to Jesus. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die comfortable. Yeah, those were the, the three actors that we talked about before. Uh, Jeremy Renner, Anthony Mackie, and Brian Garrity. Uh, I think I've monopolized your, your time and your attention for long enough, so I'm gonna open it up to the audience um, and we'll Take some questions. Yeah. Gentleman in the front row. Have you looked at a lot of the other films about Iraq? And uh, have you looked at uh, other films about the theater? Predominantly, my interest was to stay as repertorial as possible and just be as uh, adhere to the material that Mark brought back from in theater and not kind of aestheticize it or make it uh, too cinematic just to present these men and a day in the life of a bomb tech. But I did, you know, I do feel that, um, I mean, I certainly, I love war films personally. And I think if, if 
if there was any sort of cinematic influence, it'd be sort of you know kind of the the classic war films that I'm sure we all know and love. Did you look at the docs the I did look at some of those. Yes, yes. And Mark also brought back uh, quite a lot of footage from his embed, and so that was probably the the uh, the most salient research material that that was possible to utilize. Okay, the lady in the front as well. Uh, you mentioned that you spent a year uh, fundraising. How do you go about um, doing that and enrolling, um, you know, people to? Well, that was approximately, it was kind of on and off, um, but, but we had a, uh, um, a foreign sales representative who, who took this project, took the completed script, and raised the money based on the, on the completed script. So, and that takes, it can take a while. And also we had to then wait for the actor's availability so there was a bit of a, a lag before our shooting start began. Okay, gentlemen in the uh, right at the back. Are there any women who do this? Yes, there are. In fact, uh, I didn't realize that. And when I went to Fort Irwin, I saw this individual in a bomb suit who was training to become a bomb tech. And I was there with the team leader and, and he was talking to this individual and this person turned around, took off their helmet and this kind of long cascade of red curly hair and this beautiful young woman who is um, training to be a bomb tech. Yes, there are. And it's a very, it's, it's unusual um, in that, uh, you know, it, there, I, I think there's some mandate about women in non, not being allowed to be in combat positions, but these are not, you know, they do carry a gun. Bomb techs all carry guns. So it's, uh, I, I think it's terrific. Okay, gentleman there. Oh, hi. Uh, it seems like um, the action thriller genre has changed over the last like 15, 20 years. I was like wondering uh, how you've evolved as a filmmaker and adapted to that to the present day genre. Adapted as the uh, adapted. I think um, I start with, with story and character, so that informs the form of something. So it kind of starts from the inside out, so it's not like taking like the, the sort of armature of action filmmaking and then trying to kind of fuse it into a, or shoehorn it into a particular uh, story or framework, but it really comes, it's really informed, the, the, the form of the film is really informed by the genesis of the story and the character. And in this case, again, wanting it to be very presentational and, and immediate and raw and kind of immerse the, you know, parachute the audience into this experience. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the, the things I was thinking about when I was, just before our conversation was, you know, this is, you know, how would you term this film? Because, you know, You've, you've ma I guess you've made thrillers in the past, but I, I think of this more as, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like a, a, a war movie and a, and a psychological drama rather than a thriller. I mean, how did you sort of conceptualize it? How did you, what, what, was, what was kind of the, you know, if, if you're gonna pigeonhole it, you know, when, when you were starting off, was what kind of movie did you, did you set out to make? Well, I, 
I thought of it really as, as a, uh, an opportunity to humanize this particular profession. So it wasn't, uh, it was, an, and to keep it immersive and to keep it as, as kind of palpable and visceral as possible. And I didn't think in terms of, oh, is it an action film, is it a thriller? It's a portrait that happens to take place in this environment, which is very volatile and it's, it's a conflict zone. But it also happens to describe these individuals who happen to have the most dangerous job in the world. So when, you have, when you're looking at, at a profession that is this volatile and lethal and threatening, there's an inher it's inherently dramatic. And you know, whether you think of it as action, suspense, tension, or a thriller, however one describes it, it's the nature and it's germane to their job. And so that, that's kind of how it... Right, it's, it's inherent in the... It's inherent in the, in the profession. Yeah. Okay, let's take some more questions. Okay, gentlemen in the second row. Could you talk a little bit about when you're looking for your original idea or um, when you're choosing scripts, what type of scripts you look for? I, um, I tend to... Uh, I tend to look for very interesting, original, provocative characters, and characters I haven't seen before, and that are evocative of, of a, either, in this case, a psychology that I never anticipated, somebody who's capable of, of being this incredibly heroic, and yet there's a, a price that he pays for his heroism, and, and that was a dynamic that was really unusual and... and uh, and extraordinary to me, and worth spending, uh, you know, a, a cinematic, cinematic uh, translation on. Okay, and yeah, we have, who else? We have the lady at the front again. Um, as a director, how do you keep all these different components running smoothly? I could just imagine. I mean, it seems like you have things exploding. You got cameras going on. How do you keep a keep everything running smoothly? or not so smoothly, I don't know. How do I keep everything running? Well, first of all, it's a, it's a team effort. And for all, you know, any of you who are filmmakers out there, I think you're well aware of this. It's, you know, I, I, I was fortunate enough to have, as I mentioned, a great script, a great actors, a great crew, that all of which combined certainly made me look quite good, I think, in my humble opinion. And you'll be able to, to uh, have an opinion as well if you go to the film. On Friday. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway. Saturday and Sunday are good as well. <laughs> yes, that's true. But, um, but you just, it's, it's, it's a process. I mean, it's a large moving machine, especially if you're, if you're working in a foreign country and, you know, there are language barriers and uh, you're working through that. In this case, we're working in the summer, in a, in a very punishing summer, summer in the Middle East. And I had actors in a very hot bomb suit, and you know heat issues were uh, a real challenge and a real threat. And so there were a lot of moving parts in this particular production. But um, we shot for 44 days. We uh, came back with a million feet of film, and and uh, it, you know, what uh, I don't know. It kind of all coalesced. It was kind of a, a very. Um, I, I, I mean, any challenge turned into an opportunity. That was sort of the way this production 
it evolved and so it was sort of an became by the end an embarrassment of riches I was meaning to ask you also you know you you're, I would say you're you're an actors director but you know possibly what you're better known for is, is sort of you know the, we talked about the thriller aspects the, the technical uh, your, your technical expertise so when you're on set how do you um, you know how what, what's what's your focus on do you, do you simply let other people take care of, of one aspect or you know it's, I guess it's, it's a similar question to the ladies before, but, but how, how sort of compartmentalized is your, is your, your process? How compartmentalized? I would say um, it, it depends on the phase you're talking about. Like if in the development phase, while Mark was writing the script, I was at the point when some of the scenes were completed, especially some of the set pieces, I would be storyboarding or having those scenes boarded so that I could begin to break it down and look at it graphically. and look at the angles, look at the pacing, look at some of the shots. And then, you know, as you move closer and closer to production, everything, you know, the sort of, you know, your, your parameters keep changing and, and the priorities keep changing. And, and uh, it's a, I don't know, it's a big machine. Oh, yeah. We also have Mark Bowl here, the writer of the film. Uh, Mark is, is over there. Uh, so if you have any questions for Mark, please... I mean, if any of you are interested in a journalistic embed, he would be the gentleman to, uh, especially with the bomb squad, which, no, I'm only kidding. But, but I mean, he's, he originated this piece, and um, you may or may not have a question for him, but that's... Okay. Yeah, this gentleman here. Okay, so as this rare person who's never made a studio picture, does that mean you also never have to deal with an executive trying to look over your shoulder and control things? Or does the money in some form always hover a little? Especially since you mentioned on spec, supposedly you have more control, but we hear of things changing later, uh, even in that case. And even that level. Well, oh, that would be sad if, if one is writing on or working on spec and, and uh, monitored by, I don't know, some phantom naysayer. <laughs> that would be really tragic. Um, we were very fortunate. We, we kind of decided to make this movie and it became, you know, a, a, an inevitability just by sheer momentum alone. And we were fortunate enough to have virtually no interference. We had a modest budget, but we also had no creative interference whatsoever. And I think that's a, that's a, uh, a worthwhile price to pay. Okay, um, the lady here. Hi, um, I just have a question for the writer. Um, Good. Do Mark, the do you want to come up? Okay. <laughs> the question is, does the bomb tech ever decide not to disarm the bomb and to let it, to let it blow? Like, is it sometimes better to let the bomb go off? That's my question. Um, they don't do that, but um, they do blow them up on purpose instead of disarming them. So maybe that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, they do that a lot actually, because uh, sometimes, there's a scene in the movie, which I don't think they played it, but there's a scene in the movie where there's a big, at the end of the week, they, they, they've collected all these bombs. Some of them they disarm, the ones they have to disarm, it, they did, but sometimes you can kind of look at it and say, we can move this, and they just put them in a big pile. I mean, I'm greatly exaggerating, it's oversimplifying, and then they blow up and it's a huge thing. So they do, yeah, they call it blowing in place. They, they do that a lot, but um, uh, 
That's also kind of dangerous because you're making a, obviously a bigger explosion than, but but it's a controlled one. Okay, uh, I think there's a lady there also. Um, I have to ask the woman question. <laughs> You know, you see a lot of female directors who say they have to package their films in a way that suggests they're a romantic comedy. Obviously, you couldn't do that with this, but I'm wondering what issues you faced um, in that regard. And there's, you know, I think Jane Campion was talking about there not being a lot of female directors, and, and you seem to be doing this amazing job in traditionally male genres, and I'm wondering what do you think's going on with all the other women, and... What, just generally, well, what do you have to say about that? Hopefully someday we won't think of term, in terms of uh, ascribing a gender to a genre. So that would be, that would be my hope. But I, I, uh, I, don't, um, I don't take no well, I have to admit. But uh, I, I also, um, I, I just keep following my instincts and um, and I let the material guide me, and and I think because my background is in the art world, and and gender, kind of never to I mean to to be highly simplistic about it, but it never really played it, the the art world isn't really bifurcated in those terms, and so I sort of brought into the the process of making films that same it's it's really all based on the material and. The politics of gender, if if they're at work, I I am not necessarily either dignifying them or acquiescing to them, and just kind of moving forward at whatever pace uh, seems right. So I don't know if that's advice, but I hope that you know perhaps if at all for other women directors, I can be a kind of role model. And that it's simply not impossible to, you know, sit up here with these incredibly talented individuals and actually have, if one wants to be a filmmaker, actually make a film that they believe in, um, regardless of any, I don't know, restrictions or hindrances or, or um, you know, whatever that could possibly hold you back. Okay, more questions. Gentleman in the second row. Um, for the writer, what makes you do what you do? Because it's also one of the most dangerous jobs in the world is to be embedded as a journalist without a weapon. I mean, that's amazing. So why, what made you do that? It's very courageous. Thank you for bringing us this story. I, I second oh, no, that. No, not at all. I, I, uh, first of all, I did it once. <laughs> and I don't think I would do it again unless somebody wrote a really big check. But uh, I, I, you know, as a reporter, I always wanted to, to, that was kind of the thing to do, to be a, to cover the war, be a war correspondent. And uh, I, I'm a New Yorker and, and born here and raised here. And 9-11 uh, was a really big deal to me. And... Um, I grew up downtown and um, it, you know when the war started I wanted to just be cover it in some way be involved in some way and so this is sort of my way okay gentlemen in the gray t-shirt 
Uh, this is for the writer and the director. Uh, there's been some, a little bit of, how shall I say it, minor buzz that this is a little bit of a poster child movie for the military. And it doesn't seem like that's your intent at all, but I was wondering how you react to that. You should tell the military that <laughs> because they have a different opinion um, about it. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. We've shown the movie in Europe. We've shown it here at festivals. Uh, and it does provoke a wide range of opinions on that particular question. And um, it, it, I actually take that as a compliment because not specifically what you said, but the diversity of opinions and um, the fact that some people have sort of read their own preconceived notions into the movie, I think is kind of cool in a way because it sort of speaks to the complexity of the film. And I think if I could be really grandiose, I think that art shouldn't be simple and it's okay if it's complicated and, and, and it's okay if it, it sparks different opinions and stuff like that. So it really doesn't bother me. I don't think it's accurate, but it doesn't bother me. Okay, there's a somebody, lady at the back. Um, this is for the, the writer. Um, what was your intention in creating this film? What was your intention behind it? What did you want to achieve? Uh, that's really broad, but I wanted to, uh, to make a good movie. I mean, to be quite simple, we, the, that was really the idea, was to tell a good story. And um, the first thing you have to do when you try to do that as a screenwriter is, is, is get a, a great director. And if you can accomplish that, then, then the rest is pretty, you know, it takes care of itself. But that was really the attempt. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. Scott. Thanks. Um, uh, I was wondering, have any, um, uh, have any bomb techs seen the film and how have they responded to the psych their psychological portrait in the movie? Quite a few of them have, although we're doing a big screening, big, a relatively big screening in D.C. in a couple of days, so a whole bunch of them will see it. But actually, um, I used to get emails regularly from, because I kept in touch with some soldiers uh, from Iraq, and they would say, send me the DVD, I want to see the movie. And I would say, it's not out yet, man. I mean, I don't have it. I don't have a DVD. And they would say, well, my friend has seen it. And it was, so the bottom line is the movie was pirated a while ago, and, and it's it's all over the place in Baghdad. So... I mean, so every movie is in Baghdad. Transformers is probably there, but this one was too. And so I, a lot of soldiers have seen the movie. And, uh, but it's, it's very gratifying when, you sh when a bomb tech comes up afterwards and says, like, thank you for getting it right, and thank you for, for you know, they're a little surprised sort of that somebody would pay that much attention to them, but thank you. And uh, that, that's really quite, quite cool, especially if they were in Iraq in the same time I was, and they could sort of say you know, with some, because the war has changed and they're, it's different now. And, and so it's nice when someone that was actually over there in 04 or 05 or 03 and they can say like, hey man, yeah, that was pretty off the hook. Thank you for, for capturing that. Okay, gentlemen up front. Now, Catherine, um, when you look back on your career and you look at uh, some of the other films you've done, you know, they, they, well, they're in very different environments. They're, a lot of them are in different circumstances with much bigger stars. What was different in making those films and uh, what did you learn from those experiences that you applied or didn't apply to this film because this is much more on an indie level than say something like Point Break or uh, maybe and Strange Days for sure. 
Well, I, I think each, each film has its own demands and challenges and, and makes it a very unique experience, certainly for me. On the other hand, you do begin to develop a, a, a kind of confidence in your craft. And so from, you know, like in Near Dark, I was, uh, I was just worried about making, I mean, I was uh, very worried about making my days and making sure that the story had a kind of linear coherency and that there was an emotional resonance that, you know, that kind of worked beginning, middle, and end. But, but the, just the sheer problem and challenge of craft began to sort of disappear as a real concern. And so then approaching this piece, what was really a luxury was just the opportunity to delve into the story and the character and not be as um, anxious about the process. And that, it, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it just, it, it becomes kind of a natural extension, how to block, how to choreograph, how to work with multiple cameras, work in large geographic environments. So that was uh, less of a challenge, and, and it really enabled me to kind of, you know, spend time with the actors, spend time on the character, and look at the, uh, you know, the story. Okay, there's a gentleman at the back with the hat. Yeah, um, I don't know if this was mentioned, I don't know if I drifted or anything, but what's the mortality rate for this job? In 2004, which is sort of the time I'm familiar with, it was five times more lethal than any other army job in Iraq. So, in other words, if you were on the bomb squad, you were five times more likely to get killed in action than, say, if you were a marine sniper or an army truck driver or something like that. Okay, the lady at the front, I think. Oh, so we, we have, actually, we have somebody at the back who hasn't asked a question yet, so maybe... To be democratic about it. Sorry, I uh, I liked how uh, I liked about the film that how um, a lot of it was just largely apolitical. Um, I just want to know how you go about making a war movie without the political aspect of it. Wait, can you? Did you? Did, have you seen the movie? Right. Yeah, I've seen the film. Oh, okay. Where did you see it? If you say online, I'm gonna kill you. Where did you see it? Uh, at a film festival. Okay. Just kidding. But you can say online. Oh, good. Online. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you remember my question, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, what was it? <laughs> uh, the question was, how do you make an apolitical war movie? I mean, would you, it, it, are, you, are you guys in, in agreement that it is, it is apolitical? I, I think it's not partisan. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually very uh, persnickety about those words and how they're used, but I definitely think it's not partisan. I think that's fair to say. It's not a Republican or a Democratic movie, but uh, I think that it does have politics that are uh, pretty obvious, clear to me at, at any rate. But anyway, um, I think, to, but the way most people, what most people mean when they say political movie is guys standing up and giving political speeches in the movie, and we don't do that, and that was easy. You just make none of the characters do that. You know, but but I but because and the reason why it was easy and I'm not being glib is because Catherine wanted it to be naturalistic and 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 real and real bomb techs in my limited experience when they're defusing bombs don't stop in the middle of a bomb defusing seat you know like job to say like hey Hank like do you think Bush is right about 
the surge, or do you are you more of an Obama guy? I mean, those conversations don't. I mean, they don't happen in the context of of, of the of the work of do, of being a bomb tech, and so it's easy not to put them in the movie. And and I think the movie's better off for it. I also think that the um, the kind of futility of the conflict is 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 there. Uh, is there in the film as well, you know? So it, it definitely speaks to both humanizing that the life and day in the life of a bomb tech, but at the same time, it looks at the futility of the conflict, and I think that's for me was very important. Okay, thank you very much, Catherine Bigelow and Mark Ball. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you all for coming. Thank you.